0: Jesus Christ came as who he was, the Son of God, to call people to himself. But when he called people to himself, he said some rather shocking statements. Statements that uh, you need to own, maybe, if you're a Christ follower today, and if you're just checking God out in your life, you probably ought to know who you might consider following. Because he said some bizarre things, some shocking things, some hard things. Jesus, he liked to get a crowd effect. Would you ever comprehend what Jesus is like if he stood up here and actually spoke to you? I think about that every week because I'm like, Jesus, you need to speak to the people. It's just lowly little me, man. I need you to speak through your spirit to people. And that's my prayer here this morning. It's my prayer for this series. He said, what? Last week, we started this series on the shocking statements of Jesus with this this one here. He said, what? He said, love your enemies. Now... We know that to be an okay kind of statement because we're in church and you're supposed to do that. But to the people that day, it was shocking. And last week, we addressed that first shocking statement of Jesus in the series. And and we looked at this verse. If you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And we had these seven highlights. Now, why do I mention this? Because we're not in last week, we're this week. I just thought I would ask, how did you do with last, last week's homework? I had one person tell me, says, says, yeah, I hated the message, because I right afterwards I ran into somebody at a store and I needed to greet them, point number one. And I don't really have a lot of vibes good that are going in my my blood for that person right now, right? Greet them instead of avoiding them, disarm them by doing what they... Least expect, do good to them to promote their healing. Refuse to speak evil of them, vowing silence. Thank God for them, for he is at work in you. Pray for them by leaning into God's grace and ask God to bless them as he would bless you. Last week's talk really is one of those talks that we come back and focus on again today. How you doing? Every week we have the opportunity to put those shocking words of Jesus into practice, that we are to love our enemies. Now, here's the thing about what we're going to look at today, because what we're going to look at today seems so contrary, so shocking, so what is he saying now compared to last week? Jesus actually told us to hate our parents. Did you know that? Now, some kids are in here going, hey, this will be a good one. What did he mean when he said that we needed to hate our parents. Luke fourteen twenty five, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So it's not just hate your parents. You're exhorted by Jesus to, to hate your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters. What's up with that, Jesus? These are things Jesus said, and somehow you and I need to be uh, accountable to his words, or at least be able to describe and articulate what did he mean by those words. Well, I want to start by looking at those black letters there, describing when he said this. Because if you're going to understand any statement of Jesus, you have to put it in the context of what was going on. And the context that was happening in this particular day, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said these words. Jesus was quite popular. He was uh, seen as a miracle worker. He was seen as a possible Messiah. He was seen as somebody who had notoriety and, and, and image and people wanted to clamor around him. Can you picture Jesus? They didn't have cars in that day, right? They would walk from place to place. And as he would walk from place to place, he would sort of pick up an entourage of people that were uh, following around him. He had his own disciples, his own followers, men and women. And uh, they probably had their children. and, and, And as he would go from one place to another, they would just sort of gather around him. It says that there was a large crowd. Actually, it says there were large crowds. So maybe more than one place, maybe more than one grouping of people, but they were attracted and they were around him. So picture this. Jesus has been teaching. He's been performing some miracles. Jesus knows the hearts of people. He actually knows the hearts of human beings. It's His ability as he came to be incarnated in flesh to become one like us, to walk among us. He understands us. And and he was in the midst of a lot of mass humanity. And this mass humanity was traveling uh, around with Jesus. And I think he got to a place where he got a little tired of it all. He wasn't tired of people seeking God but he was tired of them seeking something other than God when they were traveling with him. Do I have any bargain hunters in here? Do you like to hunt for bargains? All right, I mean... You spent some of your week this week trying to shop for the bargains. When are the sales coming out, you know, and and you're going online trying to uh, find your way around. You meander to different sites. Maybe somebody's got something up on a a trader site. And you say, oh, I could go get that for a 100 bucks." And that thing's like, man, that's a lot more than that if I was to get that myself. I shop it. Two stores in particular, Costco and Sam's. Why? Because I think there's bargains there, right? And I want to see some value at a low expense, at a low cost. And, you know, whether it's you're looking on Amazon, whether you're shopping for good flights. By the way, did I shopped for some flights this week, and I came across this. Do you know that you can fly from LAX to Paris for $170? That's pretty incredible. It's on an airline called Wow. What do you think about that? Wow Airlines will fly you from LAX to Paris for $170. Bucks. We're all looking for a bargain. In fact, one lady, she was new to a town and she started checking out the sites and driving down the road and she saw a sign that said, Haircuts, $7. And she drove past that th- sign and she thought to herself, How in the world do they offer a haircut? For seven dollars. The, the competition couldn't keep up with that. She drove a little bit further and she saw another sign that says, We fix seven dollar haircuts. <laughs> so her deal turned into an ordeal, right? I don't know, maybe with that airlines they fly you to Paris for $170, but to get back it's a thousand seventy bucks. I don't know, right? But we all like to shop for a bargain. Jesus knew that and he knew it not only with material things he also knew it with spiritual things people were bargain shoppers for spiritual things they wanted all that jesus could give to them and maybe even hope for eternity and those kinds of things but they wanted it at a low price at a low cost and so jesus This is one of many times, actually, that he turns and as he turns, he begins to speak to them um, some shocking forthright statements. And this is one of them, because he's wanting them to know that he's not interested in bargain shoppers when it comes to people following him. But yet today, I can guarantee you, we have a tendency as pastors, as churches, to try to shop a bargain for everybody. If you want to be a Jesus follower, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to find your purpose and your hope, whatever it may be, as it sort of puts out there on the sales line, we're, we're keeping it sort of low. But Jesus didn't keep it low. He raised the stakes. And the fact, that's why many people who were following him stopped following him after periods of time. This shocking statement of Jesus was one of his wake-up calls to them to let them know that following him had a price that a lot of them weren't willing to pay. But why? Why the word hate? Hate your mother and your father, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters? It seems so contrary to what Jesus teaches. A new command I give to you, love one another. John thirteen thirty four says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, Jesus, you said those words. Surely, surely those words were also intended that we needed to love our parents. Other passages in Scripture, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Hello, Jesus! What do you mean we need to hate? We need to hate parents, brothers and sisters. Exodus twenty twelve. It was one of the commandments, was it not? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. It seems so contradictory what Jesus was saying. Here's a clue. We don't want the Webster's Dictionary for understanding why he used the word hate. We want the biblical dictionary. And to do that, we need to climb into some of the language, some of the um, phraseology that was being used in that uh, language of that day. Romans 9.13 says this. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now you know the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Esau was the firstborn, Jacob was second, Isaiah Uh, uh, uh and, um, of Isaac, and um, the birthright was stolen. There's a lot of story that's the backdrop of this simple statement that's in the New Testament. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Did God really hate Esau? Is that why he took away the birthright? Is that why Jacob is in the, line, the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, What happened? How did Esau get on the bad side of God? It says this in Malachi 1, 2, and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Here's what's behind it. The language is not saying that God hated Esau. God does not hate anyone in here. He does not call us to hate people. But it was a phrase that was used in comparison to. So in comparison to the immense love that God had for Jacob, it's as if he hated Esau. Here's another passage. Deuteronomy 21, 15 and 17. Suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other. I know, it's sort of Old Testament times, polygamy, that kind of stuff is going on. He said, like, hey, here's an example. Suppose this happens, and they had multiple wives then. Suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other, and both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, he, the son of the wife he loves, as if he were the firstborn son. No, 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 he can't do that. He must recognize the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love. By giving him a double portion, he is the first son of his father's virility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. Now, that's wading out into some Old Testament uh, teaching and dialogue that's going on there. But the reason I bring this text up to you is because this is another example where the language is using comparisons, not that one is not loved and the other is loved, but in comparison to the great love that he had for the second wife, it's as if he did not love the first wife. All right, so the language that's being used biblically is not a language to to give you license to have animosity and bitterness and disobedience towards your parents, your brothers, or sisters. Jesus is saying a shocking statement to get us to wake up, to deal with the bargain hunters spiritually as to what it would really mean to follow hard after him. And he was saying to them what it then says, in a, a synoptic comparison to the passage we looked at is in Matthew 10:37 to38. And here he doesn't use the word "hate." The, the, uh, Matthew doesn't. He uses a different kind of phrasing. So maybe Jesus was using different phrasing, different stops as the crowd was going around. He used, you know, hate your parents in one place. But then here, Matthew articulates it this way or understands the context of the language, uh, uh, semantic language that he was using, what was behind it all. He says this in Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, what's really being said here in this statement of Jesus, it's to love less, to turn away from, to detach yourself from. The shocking statement to hate your parents is not one of belligerence, defiance, Rage, anger. It's one to say, wake up. To say, in comparison to the love you should have for me. It's as if. It's as if. There is hatred towards others. You see, he goes on and he says in the Matthew passage in 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's. Drilling down lower and lower with what's at the real heart of his instruction to them. So we go back to the Luke fourteen twenty five. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And then the next phrase is, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Carry the cross meant what? You put the cross on you, you're heading somewhere, and where you're heading is death. Jesus is calling them out to love him above all things. Above all things. He's calling them to the cost of being a disciple. A lot of people hanging around the Jesus talk. A lot of people hanging around the church going business. A lot of people hanging around just trying to do the right thing. You know what Jesus does with those crowds? He calls them out. No bargain hunting. You want to follow me? Here's the cost. Here's the cost. Jesus then steps into two, like many parables. And I want you to see these parables in the context of what he's really saying. Because the cost of being disciple is basically he's saying this. In comparison to your great love for me, for Jesus Christ. It is as if you hate your parents, family. And even your own life. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Really, God? (laughs) In comparison to my great love for Jacob, it's as if I hate Esau. In comparison to the great love that you have for Jesus Christ, in comparison, is it as if you hate your family? your parents, and even your own life. The cost of being a disciple. He's called him out to that. If you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And then he has these two little mini parables. Two little stories. The first says this in Luke fourteen twenty-eight: Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. will not you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Do you know what the big building project was in the time of Jesus in Jerusalem? It was the expansion of Herod's temple and the renovation of Herod's temple. Huge temple. Some of you have been there. You see some of the ruins that are left after all these years. So that's sort of in the backdrop of him teaching this little parable. And it says, hey, you know, it it takes a lot to... To build and accomplish a great structure and a great building. Now, Jesus also said, referencing the temple, that it would be destroyed in three days and that his presence would leave that place. And what good is a temple, a building, if God's presence isn't there? And that a deed came about after Jesus died and was raised from the grave. But this little story is one that challenges us to think hmm. If we're going to go into a project, if we're going to continue to follow Jesus, we need to sit down and we need to count the cost. Now, here's the interesting thing about this little story. We often take it, and maybe if you've come across this story before, you've taken it to mean, yeah, I need to sit down and count the cost. Am I willing to... To take on the dad? am I willing to take on the burden, the responsibility to step into this building or this business adventure, whatever it may be. So you can sort of see the analogy and you sort of put yourself in the middle of counting the cost. But I'm not so sure that when Jesus throws out this little parable story, he's not flipping it. It's not you who needs to count the cost in this particular building scenario. It's Jesus who is counting the cost. And if Jesus is building his kingdom and moving forward here on earth as things are in heaven, he's going to count the cost. And do you think he's going to put some shoddy workers on site to do that building project? No. Do you think he's going to put some shoddy people into the mix to make decisions business-wise as to how it needs to go forward if they're double-minded and if they're self-centered and if they're maybe taken from the kitty themselves? No. Jesus is building his kingdom, and if Jesus is building his kingdom, he wants disciples who are willing to pay the price, the costly price of loving him more than anything else. Any other loyalty to human beings, relationships, business venues, you name it. Jesus has a high, high bar for your love if you're going to be a follower of him. Whoa, they would say to themselves. He went on to the next little story, the next little parable in verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So he gives the war analogy. Now, interesting thing, in the times of Jesus, what was happening, there were all these little, little outbreaks of revolts of the Jewish people trying to take over some of the Romans, and man, they would be squelched. The Romans would just step on anybody that tried to revolt against them, All right. If you've recently seen the movie uh, The Apostle Paul, you can see some of the, the representation of that. If you step out and try to go against the Roman government and practice your freedom of faith or forward the cause of Jesus Christ, boom, there's going to be persecution at hand. And so this is the backdrop, and indeed the Jewish people did revolt. The Jewish revolt of 66 to 70 A.D. ended tragically stamped out better count the cost if you're going to have some revolt. That's what he's saying here with the, the, the war analogy. I'm sure this week as the administration sat down and tried to think through what was an appropriate response to uh, the chemical attack in uh, Syria, that they set and they counted their cost, don't you think? And hopefully they calibrated right. You count the cost when stuff is serious at hand. And Jesus is saying, this is serious stuff. You're going to be a follower of me? You need to count the cost. But here too, it's almost like the the story can be flipped and not you in the story, but it's Jesus in the story. If Jesus is forwarding his kingdom, if he's taking on the attacks of the enemy and all the things that we know of a broken, fallen, evil world, don't you think he wants soldiers that are willing to be loyal to him and the cause? Jesus is counting the cost. It's not just you. This is serious business. This isn't bargain shopping. Oh, I understand there's a difference between inexpensive and cheap. Nothing wrong with being frugal. Jesus isn't against that. But a lot of times it's cheapness. Just trying to get everything for a low amount of commitment. I used to live that kind of faith. Friends, I'll tell you this. If you're living a faith as a bargain hunter spiritually when it comes to following Jesus, it's not worth it. Either get in or get out. And I'm sorry to put it straight to you that way. Some of you are really on a good journey of discovering more about Jesus Christ. And I'm not meaning to be mean and head you off. But Jesus turned around to large crowds. And if he was up here this morning, he might just sit and say, let me unpack that statement I said. Jesus says you got to be all in in your love for me and your love for my purposes or you need to be out because it does not work to try to serve two masters Jesus said you can't do it and when you make the decision to cross the line not only the line of faith and receive Jesus Christ as your savior the forgiver of your sins You need to cross the line of him being the Lord of your life, not just trying to take him as your savior. Because the lordship issue is the issue that will set you free. Even though the devil tells you, don't go there, you need to stay in control of your life. Let go. And the Lord's been speaking to you about letting go to follow hard after him, to take up your cross consider yourself a privileged person to have the Spirit of God tugging on your heart because that's where life is found. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, he said in verse 33, you have, cannot be my disciple. Everything? Yeah, everything. Have you ever come to a place that you've given up everything to follow Jesus? I remember I came to that place, but I tell you what. I'm reminded of that place that I need to return to quite often in my life. You're right, Jesus. I've given up my rights to you. I'm a follower of you. I will follow hard after you. I need to count the cost all over again. So maybe you came to a place in life where you surrendered everything to the lordship of Jesus. But you're at a season now when you've picked some things back up. And there's some other loyalties that have begun to creep into your life. That are seen as attachments. The things that are not only displeasing to God, but are distracting to God. They may be even very well and good. They may be loyalties to family. They may be loyalties to things God's called you to do in this world. But for your love of Jesus have those begun to usurp the rightful place that Jesus demands of his followers. No bargain hunters. Large crowds. He turned around, spoke shocking words. So what cost are you not willing to pay to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Should I list a few? I could have listed a lot. I'm not so sure that you need a comprehensive list. Because if you just ask yourself that question before the Holy Spirit in prayer and you spend some time seeking him, he'll tell you what's on that list. Is it the rejection of family that keeps you from following hard after him? Control of your destiny? How about the letting go of personal gain and wealth? Image and popularity? popularity? You don't want that suffering and hardship. There's a blank. You can fill in the blank. I've wrestled with filling that blank in anew again in my life this season. What cost am I not willing to pay in order to be an all-out disciple of Jesus Christ? To go from the bargain hunter to one who is worthy to be building his kingdom and be in his army. I don't have seven statements like I had last week of what to do to love your enemies. I just have two questions. This is one way of stating the question. What cost are you not willing to pay to be a disciple of Jesus? And the second can be summed this way. What do you love more in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ? What do you love more in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ? I'll give you a few options. They come straight from the text, right? Your mother, your father, your spouse, your children, brothers, sisters, your own life. That's really what he was putting to them when he turned around to that large crowd. He says, how about you? You want to come follow me? You have to hate. Hate? Well, in comparison to your love for me, it's as if you would hate. What do you love more in comparison to your love for Jesus Christ? Now, only you can answer that question. Only I can answer the question for myself. But sometimes you can look at your schedule of life to determine things. Sometimes you can look at um, where you spend your worry time. Do you have worry time? Maybe when you go to bed, when you're driving, worries. What are those worries about? Are they about the things of the Lord and having faith in him to provide? Or are there things that you're pursuing that have usurped their rightful place in life? You see, there are people that have to choose materially, practically, between their parents, their family, and Jesus. We hear stories of it all the time. If you're out of the Muslim faith and you choose to be a Jesus follower, you are cut off being a part of your biological family. Have you ever thought if you would cross that step If you were excommunicated by your whole family to be a follower of Jesus, would you do it? Would you pay that price, that cost as a disciple? Would you love Jesus so much more that you would step in that direction versus away from your family? Rejection can be part of that. And I tell you, there's only one way. To overcome that, and maybe it's not in a dramatic way like that, but maybe you have relatives that see you as a little bit over the top with Jesus. It's like, come on, let's get real. Church going's great, believe in God, all that, but hey, this world's got a lot to go for, and I'm going with it. And they look at you like you're weird, a little bizarre. And you're not even trying to come across as an ugly Christian. You're just trying to be faithful to Jesus. But I tell you what, the only way that you can withstand that kind of opposition, and maybe it's not family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's the circle of friends that you've had for years, and now God's doing something in your life, whatever it may be, the only way that you can overcome the immense, and it's hard, is to have a far superior love for Jesus Christ and I'm not just talking to love in language only. I'm talking to love and experience. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send my spirit to you. The disciples were aghast. Oh my goodness, he just rose into the heavens. And the angel said, don't worry, he's coming back in like manner. Hang on. You need to do his work until he comes again. They are dumbfounded because they didn't have the physical presence of Jesus to hold on to, to sit down and talk to, especially after the incredible resurrection. How awesome would that have been? And Jesus left them. Why? He left them so he could send his spirit to possess every follower of him. And that spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within you as a Jesus follower, you can be endeared to that spirit. You can love him. He can love you more intimately than a physical person, a friend, or even a spouse in life. You can know Jesus intimately. So this whole thing of love and comparison to Jesus is not just some cognitive statement of, I choose to love Jesus. I will die to all these things over here. You are climbing into a world of experience, the life and the breath of the Holy Spirit in your life. And knowing Him, and I tell you what, I've been with people, maybe you've been there, you've gone through some of the deepest, darkest challenges, crises in life. If you have the love of Jesus and He walks with you, He talks with you, He lets you know that He's your own, that He's there during Himself to you, even in the pain and suffering times, there is nothing more precious than that relationship, love relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. He came to give that to you and I. But yet we settle for all these little bargains over here, these cheap representations of what it means to be spiritual or a churchgoer or a good moral person we're trying to live up to. Friends, it's not about what you do or do not do. It's about what he has done. And what he has done is just not what he's done on the cross, but what he's done through the Holy Spirit to come and possess you and to love you and have an intimate relationship with you. Get off the cheap route, get into the costly route, and discover the fullness of life and the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, your Lord and Savior. That's the word Jesus would preach to you and I today if he was in here in his physical presence. But I believe he wants to do it in your life through his spirit presence, even right now. There's other things that are indicative of being on the wrong track. Family time. I value family time. I wish I had more family time. But sometimes family time. Can usurp God time? Personal time. Recreational time. Education. Career. Stature. Notoriety. Power. Money. Pleasure. Leisure. What do you love more in comparison to Jesus Christ? You fill in that blank or let the Lord tell you. Oh. There is nothing better. Nothing better than crossing the line of costly discipleship and selling your life out to Jesus Christ. Don't be doing the two-step. Don't be straddling some line. And I encourage you this morning to consider doing that with your life. Do you remember Jesus <laughs> the last chapter of John? He'd been raised from the dead. He was still here, on, still here on earth before he ascended to heavens. And he was going back around different people. A lot of people saw him raised from the dead, right? We just came through Easter and celebrated his resurrection. Jesus had these moments with his disciples and others. And one of those moments was with, with John. I mean, with, uh, do you remember Peter, Simon, son of John? Do you remember Jesus coming to talk to him? After he was on the water and he had the breakfast. John 21. Verse 15. Jesus says to Peter. Simon son of John. Do you love me more than these? And I think that's what Jesus would say to all of us. You fill in the blank. Do you love me more than all of these? And then remember What he said after he asked John and what he would ask you to do. He just didn't leave him there and say, good, I'm glad you're going to love me. Climb into that intimate relationship that I'm going to provide through the Holy Spirit. He just didn't leave it there with John and he doesn't leave it there with us. Because if we really love Jesus, then, then he's going to say this, as he said to John, then feed my sheep. Build my kingdom. Go to war for me. To defeat the enemy at hand. To redeem people who are lost. To save them. To take people who are broken. And to heal them. This week Joe and I sat down and we were talking about a few things. And I brought up the ministry. It's a Christian Missionary Alliance ministry ministry which is the group we're affiliated with as a church that has ministry around the world. And I brought up the ministry that's in Watts, South L.A. You know, when I let go of some of my things that I wasn't let go of the Lord, one of the hardest for me was to let go of my destiny, even my destiny in ministry. And one of the hardest things I could ever comprehend wasn't probably going to be a missionary in a foreign land. It was going into difficult, dark, urban ministry. And though God's not had that as a primary calling for me, I have deep compassion and empathy for those who are involved in hard urban ministry. And so I'd just like to close this little talk when counting the cost, to highlight this ministry that the Alliance has in Watts, 80 miles from here, 2003 East Imperial Highway, right off the 105, between the 710 and the 110, there's a ministry that's being led by some people who count the cost. Who answered the question, do you love me more than these? And they said, yes, we do. And then they answered the question or the statement, feed my sheep, by going and starting a ministry there. Their names are Todd and Jennifer Grant. This is what happens when God gets a hold of lives that love him more than anything else in comparison to other things. Oh, I'm not saying this needs to be true of your life, this exact kind of ministry. But there is a way to feed sheep and serve Jesus Christ with the love you would have for him. That would be scary to other people. But God has called you to cross that line and serve him and his purposes. Maybe not vocationally, but definitely as part of the kingdom's ministry and all that you're doing in life. Here are some people that said, we love you more than all of these, and we will feed your sheep.
1: My name is Todd Grant, and I'm the pastor at the Watts Powerhouse Church here in Watts, California. We came here um, about five years ago. We came out here for a conference on planting churches in the inner city, and uh, when God got a hold of my heart, I was, uh, to put it lightly, quite terrified to come uh, to Watts. I hadn't heard a lot about Watts, but what I'd heard was, was not thrilling. It took me quite a while. It took me four years, actually, to get up the nerve to to finally take the step of faith. When we arrived, um, the first week, we uh, were taking kids home from from Bible club and and a man had been shot in the community, his body um, thrown out into the middle of the street. And I quickly realized that the stories that that I'd heard were were very, very true. With um, gang violence, with broken homes, prostitution, drug trafficking, it's a daily way of life um, here in Watts.
0: I really felt like moving into the urban area would be kind of a sacrifice for the Lord, but was willing to do it. But the truth of the matter is, I love it. There really isn't anywhere now I would rather live. I love the people, I love our neighborhood, I love our church family. Um, I've learned so much, I've grown so much deeper um, with my walk with the Lord. Um, Our friends here have taught us so much and it's been a, a great experience for us.
1: While we were still in Arizona, I was literally consumed Uh, daily with the thought of of the people here uh, and what they're going through and um, wanting to see uh, really the power of God come into the community and give people a new life and give people, people hope. at Powerhouse Church for three years now. Um, Me and my husband came down here. We were homeless. We were using drugs and stuff. And I volunteered for nine months at the dental office as a receptionist. Now I'm the medical office manager, which does medical and dental and the pregnancy clinic, too. I was sick. Came in here and I met Willie, Rachel, then Pastor Todd. What do you want on that then yeah, he asked us to come to church, and I've been here and stuck, in I love this <laughs> powerhouse ever since. They can't get rid of me, don't want to get rid of me, and I'm here. It's my home. God has been so good helping us to plant a church here in the community. We have about 120, 130 people who come uh, on a regular basis. We've had many people come to uh, receive baptism, seeing uh, many lives dramatically changed by the power of, of the Holy Spirit.
0: broad as far as um, what we do during the week. We have everything from a health clinic, dental clinics. We have a crisis pregnancy center, mobile unit that comes in. I teach Bible Club. It's a girls' discipleship ministry where we have them hooked with mentors. We're starting some new family ministries in the fall.
1: Our next goal is to go and plant another church in the adjacent community, which is called Dickerson Gardens. So We're going into an area that is Uh, historically had a lot of bloodshed between the areas. And we're hoping to um, uh, join the two groups together uh, on a monthly and quarterly basis uh, to come together as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our heartbeat is to continue to plant churches. We believe that's the best way to reach people for Christ and and perhaps one of the most effective ways in our community to, to further the kingdom. For somebody whom God has called to go into an area where um, you're unfamiliar, I would encourage you to trust um, in the Lord's uh, wisdom. I know for me, one of the reasons that God brought us to, to Watts was not only to um, to plant a church, but also because there were residues of, of prejudice in my own heart and in my own life, and God needed to clean, clean that out of me. And one of the things that, that he wanted to do in order to do that was to to move us here to Watts. And so for me, uh, it was not only planting a church to further the kingdom, but also to, to cleanse any, the, the prejudice that was, was truly in my heart um, and, to, and to make me more like Christ.
0: Love me more than these. Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Band's going to have a refrain. We're going to close in a little bit. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just ask this morning through your Holy Spirit that has spoken to some people concerning double-mindedness, compromising, pursuing bargains spiritually that your Holy Spirit would bring clarity and fruition to that which you've brought the conviction about. Lord, I thank you for your ongoing your ongoing convicting work in my life as I seek to love and to follow you, not only me, but my whole family. Lord, may we truly show how much we love you by feeding your sheep, by doing ministry and encouragement of just people naturally around us or through this local church in this valley, through parachurch ministries, whatever it may be. Lord Jesus, may we be a people who loves you not only in word, but also in deed. And Lord, may it be such a rich and powerful and deep love. It's as if we hate everything else. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. Your shocking statement. Continue to speak boldly into our life as a church and as individuals. For we want the real thing. And Lord, we know that in all this, we will exalt you and praise your name. Lord, seal this word that's spoken. Lead people to surrender, to repentance even. Lord, fill them with your spirit, your spirit of joy. And may they exalt you and worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Amen. Amen. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, one way that we worship him, as well as your connect cards. I encourage you, if you'd like to be baptized, it's a public declaration of your love for Jesus that you just mark down on the back of your connect card. We're going to have great baptism in a couple weeks with a few folks. I'd love to have you a part of it. If it's a step of obedience, he's called you to. Let's sing this refrain as we close.